Act Three, Scene Three. The chorus parts like a curtain, bowing backwards, walking on moss. They part and go off stage, left and right, revealing at the center stage the Holy Father in his private chambers in the Vatican, sitting at his toilet, attended by cardinals. Your Holiness, if we do this, we have such meager choice. A queen in England who is Protestant, a zealot in Spain whom no one wants. The Frankish king, whom you recall, descends from regents who took the sea to Gaul. Very well, then, don't. The Pope's agreeable, constitutionally. It was his natural character to be nice, and had been elected because he was ready to please and to agree. Beatifically apathetic, he shall be sainted in the twenty-first century for miracles given indifferently. But your holiness, the same one opined, should we fail to act, he will take his sinecure, offerings daily garnered, all incomes of all our houses, the breadth of holy Christendom. An example being shown shall not Elizabeth choose, even Ferdinand, whose true religious fervor is not greater than his avaricious ardor. Shall not all of these, then, begin to claim and capture all else that we hope to retain? And gainsay that they act in vigil of heaven's reign, to care and keep in custody what we possess, and to save it. Oh, that's blasphemy, the Pope recoiled, fell off his stool. So do I fear, helping him, tremulous to stand, insinuated in whispering the purpose of his plan. We must appoint to holy emperor, one who shall deter these criminalities, but one who does not inspire either envy or rebellion, one to whom there are none who owe him fealty in life or land. And thus he cannot threaten, however he might conspire. This is how it happened that the last emperor of holy Rome, before the self-acclaimed Napoleon, took the crown and on his head placed it personally as his own. No, that was not the real thing. No, the savvy legend tells the last one, the genuine, was taken from the ranks of beggars that frequent the seamy streets of Rome taken forcibly at random by cardinals' roving minions. His name was Manny in English, Emmanuel to his native land. But they had christened him and thus anointed him celestial sovereign for Mensch the First, assuaging Teutonic constituents in hopes to restore church opulence and property 
that were taken thence. Meanwhile, in Württemberg, Faustus tilted to peer his camera of mirrors, which gathering sights only lifted to God to see, were captured and condensed to make things reappear that did not happen here, to see remotely other moments out of air. The tiny weird imagery wafts like changing smoke upon the glass, and lingers, speaks, and disappears. He watched the foolish tableau of our inept Pope in the Vatican, crowning Mensch, a clownish emperor. All in miniature, a vapor, but it was true. In this way Faustus witnessed cynically the compounding mischiefs, how madness bounding leapt all bounds, how beggars kinged and kings go begging instead. The bishop becomes a yeoman, his cathedral domiciles gypsies, mongrels, and miscreants. Even whores who, born again, donned the habits of the nuns, though they had none of their habits, and practiced charity with unchastity for those confessing the need for sin. Mephistopheles despaired, there was no one to pervert who was not already perverse. But it pleased Faustus to see how children were not hungry, how woman now was free of conventional slavery, of kitchen drudgery, and now may choose whom she may marry, to give and to take as she may please. All equal, however briefly, the first time in world history, it rubbed the general ache for justice to see the rich bemoan their commonality, the nobility complain they were consigned to peasantry, to labor and to live as ordinary. The most sacred estate now the brewer, and after him the butcher comes, then near the singer, juggler, storyteller, the painter, good bakers, and fortune teller. All values had changed. Pleasant leisure mattered more than money gained. Since no one could retain what he did not need, should share with those who had the greater need. Mephistopheles was bored and whined continually that this contrived democracy, this idling easy effluence, made men too much content, avarice too little gratified. Self-interest lost its prize, greeds wanting opportunity, ambition ignored is desolate. What purpose for life can there be when there is no struggle to dominate? But Faustus knew that those who stood for all that previously was held good, the moral order of society, would not surrender easily. He guessed at what was plotted, down in Rome, and so suggested 
to his companion in sorcery that they should visit them to see what august papal authority undertook to retain his upper hand and so restore morality. This delighted Mephistopheles, who liked to intrude to secretly sneak invisibly into chambers of the papacy. Remember his burglary of the sacristy? They rose, they flew through moonlight, through frosted air. Over snowy Alps, ranks of mountains serried in mounting heights, and came to one solitary, legendary, sharp, pyramidal peak, a glacial cone, surrounded by flanking steps of snow. M pointed there and explained, a palace below, a castle in the ice, in blue shadows it glowed, beneath its eaves no hearths or happiness showed. If that's inhabited, it's dwelling death or nothing, mused Faustus. It's Venusburg, said M. She dwells deep down within. M related how sadly to this honeycombed subterranean palace Venus then withdrew, embittered virgin to her deathly refuge, lascivious, distempered, sluttish, pagan, to preserve a sanctuary for godless lusts, lusts which had been worshipped formerly, lusts that wedded the world to heaven, which gave the stones caresses of the stars, which first ordained society to mankind, the grain grown, beer yeasted, herds calved, glutted otters, dripping rich warm milk, ripened fruit on laden trees, gave those trees to live, rendered water from rock, brought sprays of flowers out, excited nymphs to wild dance, teased crows to raucous cause, lusts to cause us fears or tears or longings that we supplicate for satisfactions we cannot take, lusts to cause the horse to race, to sweat, to run for running's sake, lusts to sear, to shake, to spark, the roiling surfaces of moiling seas, the splendorous scenes of lacquered light on poplars shivering, which seethe and sparkle, glory in those clouds, bright sheen on snows and glancing windows. It's lust to love, to grasp, to take, to swallow whole, to drink, and all love's generous aura, when every man, every one, avowed her everything, adoring her, for whom men die, complete and not wanting. Now she, disgraced in deep and distant isolation, made outcast, is forsaken in this lost isle of lifeless ice. Am told, a thousand years and one hundred and eleven had passed. She sulked, and from her panoramic height she watched man's ambiguous history, her malefactors not different, not changed in kind, 
from those she knew in pagan. These apostates were the same in passions and impulse. Through that perpetual force of which she was possessed, that force which permeates as light across clear space, as dyes stain nature imbues. Denied, she is maligned by men, am told Faustus, where they hovered then, looking on the foreboding escarpment. Even crows and horses forget her impulse at their throats, her stirring in their thighs, their running and their cries are half-hearted remembrances of vague feelings unrealized. Groups of nymphs shedding vibrance faded, ceased in dancing and died, becoming some copse, something wooden, becoming rocks, something fallen. Now our stars abandoned men. Now beauty's not transfigured when lust seizes men or women, as when Venus had enraptured them. She is not beckoned then. She is mistaken, called corruption, is named a blood disease. Until one named Tonhauser became her willing captive, the last man to see her alive. M. had been at the Frontier Tavern when Tannhauser had stumbled in, covered with whore, half-dressed, half-dead, and told his fabled tale, but none believed the fairy folk had taken him, that she, their queen, had kept him beneath that alpine crystal peak, that he escaped, returned to Germany. He told them of her treasures and her pleasures, of luxuriant feasts by icy hearths of unmelting fire. But none believed him. All thought he lied, though for his part insistent, though mocked he'd not recant. He yearned at length for his return. How saltless, lacking, null and sullen seemed the neat, clean, and Christian. How thus he crept from wife one night, right out of bed, and never seen again. In sudden descent from height, from cold, from darkness, to warmth, to rising morning light, as into a bath they plunged, splashed amongst some brother birds, joined fluttering pigeons bobbing and pecking at the dirt. At daylight they were found and fed, by faithful pilgrims, crumbs of bread, gathering at the plaza of St. Peter for papal blessings and indulgences. M. cooed to some sweet girl in this disguise, who had not expected such words as these, but took them innocently to be expressed affections of the deity, the whisperings of the Holy Ghost, who in just such form as this to such a virgin such as she, did successfully inveigle what Mephistopheles finagled, or something similar, in effect. But suddenly Faustus remanifested their normal forms, which caused the girl to flee, and M to curse, him who said it was just nonsense. How could a bird 
How could he mate? M pouted and complained. Zeus could become a swan to couple with the willing Leda, and don't forget that other one. And he would recite the occasion of another seductive deception. But Faustus, interrupting, insisted, Which way is it to the gate? Faustus, impatient, M did not reply. He glowered. While girls, nuns, pilgrims muttering recollect, while affrighted pigeons cooing flocked. I could rain on these, he mused. I could shower, yearning for the maidens, leering, he imagined. Like Zeus's golden shower, have them all at once and satisfy, he thought to drench them all at once with one lingering wet caress and pour myself to envelop them their clothed nakedness. Oh, feel their breasts and all of them at once, their bare bellies, their thighs, their buttocks, and in between those swimmy legs. Oh, in flower in that niche, oh, burst within a bloom. Oh, maidens, pluck my ripened fruit, take my little apple full of juice, but as he was anxious to become a cloud, having picked some schoolgirls in the crowd, Faustus yanked him suddenly away, urgently demanding which was the way they should go. The girls dispersed like M's fizzled hopes, and he looked awry in vexed puzzlement. To Faustus he spoke, I don't know what's become of you. You were much better company when we first met. Sighing, he applied his magic sight and saw through glassing walls the very intrigue that they sought, the banquet hall of Pope and Cardinals. A snap of fingers, and they were at the spot. Being still invisible, they caused no distress, but stood before the very table in the room where His Holiness conspired and addressed himself to the bogus Prince Mench, or Manny, or else Emmanuel, whom they instructed in ways to behave, what to wear, to believe, and say. The Pope's attention span is small, except for food and drink, which is his favorite pastime. So while the cardinals gave advice, the Pope attended to his fork and knife. Mephistopheles, bewitching, used nasty wit as wit it is that is bewitched in witnessing, to tip the tippler's goblet, sloppily to spill it, down his vestments, rich red flood staining and runlets guttering round his double chins. But blithe he did not care. He took it for an accident, and blithely took to trenching at his plate again. But M lofted it and turned it upside down on him, upon his head, a gravy stew with chunks of venison. The Pope exclaimed, swiping crosses for his venison, fell to his knees, uplifting earnestly tight clasped hands. I do believe, or I'll be damned, some ghost, a demon. The cardinals attended to their father, who distraught, who bug-eyed and appalled, peered over his table-top, wearily wondering what next devilry might be should take away the plenitude that he had deservedly.
He remembered still the burglary in the sacristy. Clutching the cloak of his near dear confessor, he hoarsely croaked, Is this a sign of God's displeasure? Whereat M gave the roasted pig his voice, who spat the apple lodged in his gullet, screwed up his beady eyes, exclaimed, Rejoice! I come, I come, the kingdom of God is nigh, which scattered all to flee. For it is to be foretold, if this our last day be, there is little time for any to prepare. Except for many, who sighed at last to have the chance to eat the dinner that had been kept from him while he had to memorize the titles and the names of these they wanted for murder or favor. M. and Faustus joined him, dressed as cardinals too, to continue his instruction but offering first food. Eat, drink, they told him. Do not mind what the others said. And coaxed him kindly, heaped more onto his plate, Filled full twice his goblet, spread the piping gravy, thus proved themselves more friendly to his felicity. They told him plainly he should rather take the proffered monarchy and use it first to make men free, forgive debt, outlaw all slavery, and elsewise do his best. Apply compassion as your test, as a jeweler uses acid to assess, whether what appears to be the riches of the world's has assay of true worth. If your heart feels badly about what you do, it is not the genuine, it is not the true. Do only what refrains from harm, do only what you know is kind. Manny nodded, snuffling as he ate. Rifling the food from others' plates, he wiped his nose with Faustus' sleeve, who, brooding at the man, thought again. No, I've changed my mind. Do what you want. You may be Christ in your deepest soul, but in this world you are just the same as those who previously owned the game. No, I think you'd better even up the score. Make all the beggars nobility and make the nobles moan and beg. In Manny's eyes gleamed the notion, revenge he'd take for his affliction. But be careful, my lord. Do not disclose, do not explain whatever you may do. For any words you say will be like tools they will try to ply and work against you. Be obscure. Or be silent, and do what you want. If they should doubt you or ask you what you meant, say nothing else but say, The world abides, heaven decides. No, do not ask me what it means. But say it often and effectively. They will be dumb and dismayed. Meanwhile, M had chased our corpulent vicar, to hiding in his bedchambers, tormenting him with whispers and frightful glimpses of goblins, devil dwarfs, 
not so big as his hand, but boiled red, snarling, and fanged, who scurried about the furniture legs, bobbled the curtains about his bed, and bubbled beneath its coverlets as they played. They screeched, they pinched, they chased, they danced, they broke things. Oh, help me, help! Help us, rescue us! Come save us! To his pleas responded Faustus, and found the room still clamoring, but Mephistopheles, gone. He'd off to the air, had off to rain down on some rustic fair, to make love by drench on as many young wench that he could burst his salacious clouds upon. The Pope, in the center of his chambers, stood surrounded by merry, mocking, mincing minion mites, as if he were a fat maypole for their obscene delight. Faustus, a single gesture, dispelled them out of sight. They were harmless, he said, but nude and impolite. Faustus helped the humbled, trembling Pope to sit. Who so grateful was the sorcerer's hand he kissed? It embarrassed the doctor who wanted instead. The Pope should understand wherefore cosmic change, this revolt of morality, this rise of liberty, how Faustus intends no less than our vicar can, the world be consonant and fair to the Christian. Faustus was a moralist, yes, with all an atheist, while, yes, also necromancer, he confessed. But as he tried to tell him, as he explained, the primping, plump pope who regained his composure looked for something to eat. And while he listened as attentively as he might, in a while his stomach made noises to fight. So the pope begged off, Would you please, won't you, Faustus, come continue in proximity of our kitchen? It is as well he might not listen. For Faustus should take the blame for a revolution that soon began, and accomplice or conspirator he might be beheaded for, inspiring the diabolical plan. Rather, the Holy Father should call him friend, and finally in the end should reward him as one of those triumphant, as one whose notoriety in victory it had been, how Faustus saved our vicar from Satan. <laughs>